You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about the 1964 horror film, The Last Man on Earth. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose, no place. We have no great war. No great depression. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up? We're here talking about The Last Man on Earth, but before we get into that, um, there's some cool things, uh, news-related, came out at Comic-Con that we kind of wanted to talk about. Godzilla, the Japanese Godzilla film. It's the 29th Japanese Godzilla film, I, I believe. Um, 31, 31st, if you're counting all of them. The American ones included there. That is coming out in Japan, of course, at the end of this month, on the 29th, I think, of July. But we got news that it is coming to the United States later this year. In 2016, we are going to get this film. We're going to get it in theaters, man. That's awesome, yes. And and the fact that Fundimation is doing the, uh, getting up the American distribution board is, is really cool. That's it's really interesting because I love Fundimation as a company, and I think a lot of my favorite animes or uh, anime shows are made by Funimation. And to see Godzilla come, you know, here and and this movie is being, you know, done by Funimation, it shows that they're really trying to step it up as a company as well. Yeah, one of the directors on this new Godzilla movie um, is a director for uh, Evangelion. I think he's actually. I think a lot of people are kind of mad that the fourth Evangelion film has not come out yet. And he's apologized for it because he's been working on this Godzilla movie. But yeah, I've seen some of the trailers and some of the TV spots they released for this thing. And man, I am really, really impressed with what I've seen in the trailers, special effects wise. You know, I I thought it looked great. I thought it looked amazing. And Funimation released that uh, that attack on uh, Attack on Titan, the live action video series. They broke that up into two parts. And that and Funimation, I think I'm pretty sure it was them. They did that as well. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this. And uh, it's good news for Godzilla fans and you know people that like giant monster movies and all kinds of great, great, great animes. I mean, they do everything from Dragon Ball Z to uh, Full Metal Alchemist. You know the movies that they do on top of that. You know, Psychopaths. Yeah, Funimation is definitely a an awesome company and like i said to see them actually bring godzilla to the states is uh it's really cool to see that moving on to item number dose that we wanted to talk about adam wingard had a horror film uh called the woods that we all knew about it's gonna come out in uh, fall this year if you follow him on twitter he seemed really excited about it talking about it was the scariest film that he's directed um and adam wingard is a guy we like to watch here on the show uh he did your next and i'm sorry to inject Oh no! I'm please so do. Sorry to interject here, but but to to say that you're making the scariest movie ever 
I don't know, man. Oh no, no, I don't. I don't see like the scariest movie like ever. Like, I'm sorry, maybe I misspoke, but what I, what I meant was the scariest movie that he had made, not like the scariest movie oh, that okay. has ever existed in the world of film. Just the scariest movie that this okay. that Adam Wingard has made, and he also yeah, did okay, the guest, which was man. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend that. That's a that's another great one. But he dropped the news that this movie called The Woods is in actuality a Blair Witch Project sequel called Blair Witch. Maybe, maybe the Blair Witch will actually get a proper sequel, a real proper sequel. Oh, you didn't, I mean, you didn't like uh, BW2, Book of Shadows? You didn't like that movie? Well, okay, I'm not saying I didn't like that movie. The storyline was actually not that bad. I mean, the movie wasn't the greatest movie ever to start with, but it wasn't bad. It was It was enjoyable, okay? But to call it, uh, you know... Blair Witch. I mean, no, no, I don't, I don't. don't, Yeah, Yeah, it probably shouldn't have been called Blair Witch. I mean, it's not like it's not like they took anything from that first movie, mythology wise, except for the witch. Well, I mean, they didn't even the witch. But no, the the witch doesn't even do that kind of stuff that she's doing in that movie. Like, if you watch the Blair Witch Project, the witch does certain things, and they build this this mythology around the witch, like. You know, with the kids in the corner and what later happens at the end of the movie. Like, they build a universe in the Blair Witch Project, and the second one just throws all that crap out the window. The movie really wasn't horrible. I mean, it really wasn't horrible. It was just, it should not have been called a Blair Witch 2. Yes, Blair Witch 2, you know, it was what it was. It shouldn't have been called that. You're right. But I am excited for this new movie. I'm excited the fact that Adam Wingard's coming up in this universe. I'm I'm excited to see what he does here. The lead actress from the the Blair Witch Project. It's going to be her sister that this story follows, and I guess she's going to be trying to figure out what happened to her. But I like that idea already more than Book of Shadows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it does sound more interesting. Let's just uh, jump in discussion here on tonight's movie. We're talking 1964's The Last Man on Earth, starring the great Vincent Price. Now, Paul, you picked this film. Sure did. Why why, why did you pick Uh, this movie, bro? Vincent Price is, I mean, the dude's a uh, god. The guy's like a horror movie god, you know. I guess if there is one. (laughs) I mean, but yeah, man, I I love Vincent Price. So is this like uh, your favorite that. Vincent Price performance? Yeah, I, I'd have to say. I'd have to say this movie is probably one of his his best acting movies. You get, you get to see him go to a full range of acting ability, which in a lot of the other movies that he was in, like the, uh, what was it, The Bat? I mean, he's been he was in- also in the original House on Haunted Hill. Oh, dude, and- he's been in so many. He's been in The Tingler. He was in House of, yeah, House of oh, Wax. Yeah, the the uh, Pooh. Adaptations. A pit that he was in, like, yeah, Fall of the House of the Usher. And it's weird that this guy originally started off, uh, if I'm not mistaken, his first gig was like reading, I think it was either like a Christmas carol or, or I think it was a Christmas carol. He definitely, definitely has a very unique voice. And, you know, you did see some of his, his stuff go a little darker into the 70s with uh, like Theater of Blood. Wait, scream, wait, hold scream on. again. Wait, did you just say Theater of Blood was dark? I mean, come on, man. That that's like a comedy. What are you talking about? It's dark? I mean, well, it's but it's when I say dark, it's it's darker. It's more even though it's a comedy, it's still a dark humor. I don't know, man. I would say I would say the movie we're talking about tonight is is darker in tone 
and more bleak than it, like Theater of Blood. Yeah, that's true. Like I remember like Theater Probably of Blood being like uh the abominable Doctor Fives where it's kind of it's kind of campy, you know? Yeah. But that's what the that's well, what they're going scream for. Again. Yeah, Scream and Scream Again, I think was more more had a little bit I think that was the one that had a little bit more of a serious tone to it. Ah man, I haven't seen that in but forever. But it was still but Scream and Scream Again, dude, is is that that's also another one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. We can't forget the fly. Help me. Help me. <laughs> that is a classic science fiction film. Yeah. Once again, his, it's Vincent Price's acting ability is what really kind of, I think, draws me more to Last Man on Earth than it does a lot of his other films. How old were you when you saw this for the first time? It's funny, man, because uh, I don't know if you remember it. The name of the show is Dr. Gruesome. I had this guy dressed up in this like lab coat and had this rainbow colored wig on and glasses in it. It's like Igor looking sidekick and they would host this, you know, late Saturday night horror thing. And the first time I saw it, I was, I was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine. Man, I can't do, I don't even remember how old I was when I saw this. Um, I was pretty young when I saw this, but I remember my uncle Rick showed, showed this to me and you know, it was, it was one of those movies that the story kind of sticks with you when you see this at a young age, like the, the story's kind of heavy and the story gives you a chance to look at things from a different perspective in terms of who's the villain, who's the good guy, what's right, what's wrong. As a kid, I mean, not so much now as an adult, but when I was a kid, like, man, this movie was really deep for me. I mean, it's it still is. It still has an impact to it. I mean, it it has it is a little dated, though. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, it was made in 1964. Yeah, it doesn't hold up as well as um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, not. It hasn't aged that well. I, I swore when I was watching it earlier that it looks like one of the people, you know, like when he's driving, and he's driving by the people, and it's like, like four or five of them laid out on the side of the road. I swear, if you look really close, it looks like one of their legs moves. Well, yeah, um, I think some of the, a lot of those bodies, you know, those were those weren't dummies. A lot of them were real. Some of them were real people that were just laid out on the road because you yeah. know, I mean, you you can get your buddy to lay down on the road for you for free. Or for like 10 bucks, you know, I'm sure a dummy cost a little bit more than that. You know, I mean, it was the 60s. I'm sure it didn't cost 10 bucks. So I don't know what inflation was and what rates were then. But but I did want to talk about this movie when I brought up uh, Night of the Living Dead. I Watching this when I, when I turned a teenager and, you know, got exposed to Night of the Living Dead and really got into the whole zombie movie. Rewatching this film a little bit later in life, it does kind of dawn on you like, holy crap, this movie came out before Night of the Living Dead, and man, Night of the Living Dead owes a lot to this. Just going back and doing research for the podcast, I didn't know this, but George Romero like pretty much just admits like, yeah, I use I use this film as inspiration. Yeah, they, you can see a lot of you can see a lot of similarities between Night of the Living Dead and and Last Man on Earth. They call them vampires in this movie, and the vampires have vamp- vampiric properties. Like, you know, the, the same thing that would kill a vampire in Dracula is going to kill the vampires in this movie. But the way they actually Stay, are... Uh, holy water. But the way they're actually... And mirrors. Apparently, mirrors, mirrors ward off vampires in this movie as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess they had to do something for, you know, the the old vampire lore of cast the reflection or you can't see a vampire's reflection in a mirror, but the way they portray the vampires actually on the screen and how you see them on the screen is 
more what we are now in the modern in modern cinema language would describe as zombies. Exactly. Well, that's how they, you know, or how they move. But I will tell you another thing going back to, you know, Night of the Living Dead. I guess what I'm saying is if Last Man on Earth had the gore kind of factor that Night of the Living Dead did, maybe it would have been a bigger, you know, kind of a bigger film than it was. Oh, I don't think uh, for me, it has nothing to do with gore. For me, it has everything to do with like the the sense of urgency in the film. Like, if I have one big complaint of for the last man on earth, it's the sense of sense of urgency is very much lost. Like, yes, he's the last man on earth, and in this film, it's it's portrayed as like it's a very sad thing. It's it's terrible being alone and the the damaging psychological effects that would have on a person. Yeah. Whereas in Night of the Living Dead, it's much more of a siege film, and every moment I just like you constantly feel like the zombies are going to come through the doors. They're going to get in, and then you have all the turmoil going on inside of the house, you know. So you you kind of have it coming from like all these different conflicts coming from every direction. Not that this movie doesn't have an elaborate story. It's just it's it's a different kind of film. When the monsters in The Last Man on Earth are outside Robert Neville's, or Ro- I'm sorry, in, in, in this movie it's Robert Morgan, the actual character in the book, yeah. and in the Will Smith movie, Robert Neville. I think in the uh, Mega Man, too, isn't that his name as well? Isn't Charlton Heston's character Robert Neville as well? I believe it is in Omega Man, yeah. I don't know if they ever say his first name. Maybe his name's, maybe, I, I know they mention his last name as Neville. I don't know if they mention his first name. I, I have to go back and watch that. It's been, I haven't seen that in about a year. See in this movie, Robert Neville's character—he's in—he's in the room, but like he's never worried about like the zombie vampires coming in. He kind of treat. He even says it in the movie that like they're not really a threat to him. And that's—I guess—that's the big for me. That's the real big difference, and why I would say I'd like Night of Living Dead a little bit more than this film. But I think this film has a lot of very interesting things to say as well. And I don't think you should discredit this film. And I, I do think this movie's kind of been lost. Lost in time a little bit, and not a lot of people have seen it, know about it. I mean, it definitely has this cult following, for sure. Like, I think the film nerds and, yeah. you know, the horror fans know about it. I could definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, with, with Night of the Living Dead, I think when I saw it when I was really young, it always really bothered me. Seeing where, you know, the truck blows up and <laughs> they're sitting there eating. They're like, they got the chicken, what actually is, I think it's like chicken innards. And they're pretending to eat them. And it's like, when I saw that when I was like little, it was just like, kind of creeped me out, you know? And you don't really have any anything like that in Last Man on Earth. No, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with when this movie was made. I mean, I, I don't think the gore in Night of the Living Dead would hold, holds up to today's standards either. I just think that that no, movie has that sense of urgency. And that's what makes it special. I don't, I don't think the gore makes it makes it special um, i mean i totally see what you're saying yeah paul's like but i disagree yeah. moving on no i mean i agree i mean i agree you know the gore the gore kind of factors into it too because it adds to the viewer it adds more you know suspense to the viewer and and shit because they're seeing like especially back in 1968 man i mean you weren't seeing monster movies where people were literally getting like torn to pieces it has to do with like a time and when a movie came out. Like you know, nobody's looking at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one from the seventies, the one that to- Toby Hooper did. Nobody's gonna look at that and go, yeah. "Oh my god, that's gory!" And I'm gonna run out of the theater and throw up. And you know how you heard those stories when that movie came out that that was the story that everybody heard. Like, oh my god, people are leaving the theater yeah. in droves. 
you watch it now and you're like, I mean, yeah, there's some parts that are tense in this for sure. I'm not arguing that. And there's some moments that are actually kind of scary. I mean, there's a lot of humor here too, guys. Come on. Yeah, there is a little humor right now (laughs) in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, another thing about um, Black Man on Earth is isolation and stuff. And and you can actually see that really start to take effect on Vincent Price's character in this movie. And that's, like I said earlier as well, I think that's another thing that really shows that he's he's a good actor because he's watching videos, you know, of his like family and everything else. And he's kind of reminiscing and. There's a couple other scenes where he seems like he's he's going mad. Yeah, there there's a couple scenes in the movie where he looks like uh you know, he's going he's going a little bit more than nutty. He he's lost a lot of hope and just kind of will to live. Uh you know, I guess we should mention that um um Roger Corman's company released this movie. And this was a American slash Italian production. Almost all the actors in the film, with the exception of Vincent Price, are Italian. Uh, you can tell they're dubbed over in some places. Some places it's not so bad. But the entire cast is, is Italian, with the exception of Vincent Price. And they had two different directors. He had an Italian director and an American director. And I guess the American director was working with Vincent Price, and the Italian guy was working with the Italian... Now, who was doing the shots? I don't know. I really couldn't find out, like whose movie this was in terms of creatively, but these two guys are credited with it. I mean, I would probably say it's the Italian guy just because of the cast and the crew and where it was shot. Yeah. Who knows? American International Pictures also put out a lot of those Godzilla movies. Henry G. Saperstein got like all these, uh, he bought like all the Godzilla movies and released them, a lot of them through uh, American International Pictures. You know, Toho would make these Godzilla movies and it's, you know, it's it's an all Japanese cast and they would bring in one American actor and he would be speaking the English. I said the manster is another one. A lot of this happened, man. I mean, uh, this even went on into like, you know, the, the 70s um, where we would get movies where it would be dubbed over like Suspiria. That's an entire. That's an Italian film. Most of the people are dubbed. Dario Gento movie. Yeah, uh, if you haven't like, seen uh, that, go see that. One, one that's really hard to watch, and uh, I doubt there's been a lot of people out there that have actually seen this movie. But, uh, but the American name of the movie is The Devil's Nightmare, and that's a totally Italian horror movie. It's a pretty pretty decent one. The the the, the, the English overdub is horrible. Storyline's pretty decent. It's not a bad movie though. Okay, we should go into the history of this film real quick about this movie is based on a book by Richard Matheson, really famous writer, uh, super famous sci-fi horror guy. The book is I Am Legend, uh, and this is the first time a film adaptation was made. And he actually uh, wrote part of the first draft of the script, but was unhappy with it and took his name off. And I think he's credited as like Logan Swanson. Yeah, he's Logan Swanson. That's his credit in this movie. I don't know why he picked that the pseudonym, but uh, yeah, that's him. Although I don't really know why he was oh, unhappy with it, you know, because it this is very similar to like Last Man on the Earth is very similar to the book. Yeah, I've never read the book, buddy, so I couldn't tell you. I I've I've read the book. Um, I actually have a really awesome. They meant I can't remember. I'm gonna say it was probably when the uh, Will Smith version of this came out. Um, they released a graphic novel, man. It, it's really good. It's a pretty faithful, it's like exactly what happens. And like almost, I think every word is written out 
Man, it's it's really good. It's a really good graphic novel. High, highly, highly recommend if you can find it. Get that. This movie is is very is very similar to the book for the most part. They do some changes and the end's different. And the second adaptation with Charlton Heston is Omega Man. I I really I've never seen that dude. Oh, you've not never seen the Charleston Omega Man? Heston fan. No, not a big Charlton Heston fan, buddy. Oh, you're not? No. Oh, dude, but he Planet of the Apes, Soylent Green. Okay, well, Soylent Green and Planet of the Apes, like, yeah. No, I definitely think that was, the Omega Man I would put at the end of that list out of those three science fiction films that he's been in, but it's still it, it's an it's a decent adaptation. Okay, so I guess that brings us to the third adaptation, uh, 2007's I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. Yeah, I actually thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I like that a lot. I kind of like the effect that it made the vampires look like, though. Like, yeah, the I didn't, vampires were definitely more more threatening. Yeah, they were more threatening. I didn't like the way they look. The CGI hasn't aged too well, but and I didn't even like it when the movie came out. To be honest with you, I thought it looked bad in two thousand seven. But you know, the story does win you over, man. The the story's pretty good. I'm a sucker for animals getting hurt in movies sometimes, and man, I got you know, I really love that German Shepherd that Will Smith's character had and ooh yeah all right so we're going to play the trailer then we're going to come back and we're going to have a spoil filled discussion of the last man on earth we switch you to the state capitol where his excellency the governor is speaking from the executive mansion further i have in conjunction with the federal government declared this state to be a disaster area To keep you here until they come. To kill me. Vampires alive among the lifeless that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire, or stick to the ground in the light of the sun. Will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day, irresistible, horrifying attackers by night. Can a zombie woman's hunger for love repopulate the earth? All right, we're back. We're talking Last Man on Earth. This movie starts with a sunrise over a city that is obviously, it's clearly supposed to be in America. <laughs> the buildings look like they're <laughs> European design buildings. I take it this is Rome because this movie was shot in Rome, Italy. And even some of the vehicles, you can tell that they're not 60s made American vehicles. Okay, so this was a low-budget film. I don't know if we really discussed that or not, but it's low-budget. Uh, it's hard to talk box office numbers because this movie's so old. Yeah. For a low-budget film, man, the way this film starts off with all these freaking huge, like, wide shots of the city, nobody is out. Nothing's going on. The fact that they cleared out, like, all this space for this film and, like, they cleared out all the streets and, man, this looks really cool. 
you know, like I love what, what I think it's kind of funny what they have on the church. They're like, it's like community church, and it says below it, then just come. And I like how you go from the empty streets and then you start seeing dead bodies all over. Just how ominous that is. I think you, I think you, I think you start seeing the dead bodies like right after you see that church sign that you, you mentioned. Yeah, it's everything is just so empty and vacant. Well, I mean, it's living up to its title, right? It's you know you're going to watch the last man on earth. You don't, they don't, they haven't had the title card yet. It's delivering on its promise. It's like, okay, where is everybody? Is just everybody dead on the streets? There's nobody here. Oh, there's only one man left, and that's Vincent Price. Uh, immediately, so his VO kicks in. There's voiceover in this movie. How do you feel about voiceover in, in film, Paul? Yeah, I like I like his voiceovers in the movie, man. The dude's got probably the most interesting voice out of any human being I've ever heard in my life. If he had a, if he was still alive and had a podcast, I would listen to him religiously. Oh, dude, like people shit us. And that would be great. I would love to listen to a Vincent Price podcast. It would be amazing. We get introduced to Vincent Price, and I, man, I love this little setup. Uh, you get the title card, and the, and the music kicks in. Last Man on Earth. But then we get to see what he does in his day. The, yeah. the VO tells you right away that three years has passed. I love kind of how he's he's literally mapped out all the days. So he knows exactly what day, what month, or what year it is. I, dude, I love how it's so scribbled on his kitchen wall, too. It's just like he was just like, okay, well, the, you know, the calendar was here. That month ended. This year ended. Ah, uh, hell, let's just start on the wall. And there's something that's so apocalyptic about that. Man, you can't go pick up a calendar anymore, dude. He's running everything that he has off of generators, so you would you would have to have a constant fuel supply. He gets his routine. He checks it. He checks his mirrors, his garlic on the door. You know, he checks yeah. his generator, makes sure it's got enough fuel. Like you were seeing his morning routine. He gets on the radio and's like, "Hey, is there anybody out there?" This is what yeah. this guy does. Sniffs the garlic. Talks <laughs> about how the garlic's going bad. And while he's drinking his coffee now, at, you know, the whole time, you know, keep in mind, he's just walking around drinking some coffee. He does have his coffee. Look, man, it's the end of the world, okay? But, I mean, you still need your coffee. I mean, there's just some things a man can't live without. You want to know something? We put you off about this movie, and you're like, yeah, that's not realistic. The fact, if you were the last man on Earth, I'm sorry, but I think I'd be going and taking me a 1964 Ferrari if I was in Italy. He's he doesn't want to buy like there's even a part where he has to buy another car because the vampire yeah. zombies trash it. And he even says something like, "I don't look for a car, I look for a hearse." And he finds like a station wagon. He's like, "I guess that'll do." <laughs> it's yeah. so like even him picking a car out like it's the end of the world. You can pick whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Nobody's gonna tell you shit, man. There is no one keeping What's... you down at all. You're completely hundred percent free. And he still picks a fucking station wagon. That's how depressed this motherfucker is. Another thing that he also does is he's he's gone through the the entire city. Like I'd say, what about half of the city? Wouldn't you say going through with the map and marking off the areas? Yeah, I don't know if that's that a. I, I, is that a map of the city or is it just a map of his neighborhood, man? Like, I don't know. It's that, well, I guess it's got to be more than his neighborhood because it's pretty big. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I always assumed it was just a map of the city. Yeah. Well, they don't ever say what city it is. Well, I don't remember once in the movie where they say, like, oh, yeah, or there's even a newspaper where you 
see, like even the newspaper you see is a torn out. They, they show a newspaper later in the movie, but it's torn out of the newspaper, so you can't even see what paper it's from. It's like a, it's like a newspaper. Yeah, it's like a, he's got a, he's carrying around a freaking newspaper clipping. So when he gets to his routine, I do like that you can kind of tell this is a, a vampire movie. You have all your you have all your vampire killing iconography on the screen. You have your garlic. You have your mirrors. And then he goes to his steaks. He has he has steaks. And I like how they give it like a real quick – there's a real quick line that he gives in like VO, Vincent Price does. It's dropped, but it gives it kind of a scientific reason of why steaks work. You know, and yeah. he, he says something like it keeps the flesh apart so it can't um, seal or heal. I, I mean I, I rewinded that like three or four yeah. times. I couldn't tell what he was saying. I think yeah, he was saying so it couldn't seal back up. Yeah, that's what I always was under the impression of. And just out of curiosity, didn't um didn't Hammer pass this this movie up? Yes, yes they did. I mean, well, well speaking speaking of Hammer and, and then passing this up, um, and the whole reason that's why that's why this went to um an American producer who took it to Italy to make it for cheap. Uh, because this, I guess, when this came out, you could call it a B film. I hate, I keep, I hate calling movies B movies though. That's just, yeah. I feel like it's kind of insulting. No, fuck that. It is insulting. It is. I mean, okay. come on now, now you got to give credit where credit is due. You're not watching a fucking trauma film here. I hate to say it, man, but that they really are kind of B films, man. Is that a B film? I mean, I don't know. Is that a B movie? I don't know, dude. I don't even know what you call that. Know, what dude, is that? X, Y, no, not X, but definitely Y or Z. <laughs> definitely. Back to Last Man on Earth. So Vincent Price is, we're, we're talking about Hammer, um, and it, it's alluded to in the very first scene where like we're talking about like uh, his map. He has this map. It's it's yeah. marked off. And we this really cool montage where he goes from house to house, and he starts staking. You know, you, you assume they're vampires, but when, the first time you watch this movie – they kind of look like people that are just sleeping in bed because when he comes up to them, some of them are awake. Some of them actually wake up and yeah. respond to him, and he stakes their ass. Yeah, and he takes them all and throws them in that damn gas burning. We're again, we're talking about stretching our dollar here. You know, we bring that up a lot on this show because you know it's it's important in low budget filmmaking to stretch your dollar. It's important in big big budget filmmaking as well. But man, this pit, just like those opening wide shots, I was really impressed with this pit, man. Like how this looked, the fire effects. And they go back to this even later in the movie when he tries to go get his kid. He also actually goes back to it quite a few times uh, throughout the duration of the movie. Not only the scene with his daughter, but he actually takes some of the vampires and throws their, you know, their carcasses into the fiery pit. He's, Vincent Price is not only staking vampires and being a vampire hunter in his day, he's also like collecting some of the supplies that he needed when he was going out and checking his house. Yeah. Like he's, He stops by the mirror store. He goes, gets that garlic. Yeah, he also ran across an entire tanker truck full of gasoline. But wow, how fucking lucky is that? At this point in the movie, he goes home, and we get the, we get the first siege uh, scene. It almost feels like, you know... You're, you're kind of watching a zombie movie, but with talking zombies that drink blood instead of just eating you. Because you have the one, the one vampire that's sitting there beating this crap out of the window. It almost looks like Vincent Price is going gonna, is gonna to open up a bottle and just get drunk as I don't know what and pass out. But he kind of just throws the bottle to the side and just 
falls asleep. He's getting ready to have like himself a little sleepy night, night, night time. He puts a record on, you know, he gets his favorite whiskey. Yeah. Here we go, Ren. We're, we're gonna, I'm gonna sit down and drown out vampire talking because the vampires do talk, and we, we say they're vampires, but they they act like zombies. Okay, so picture, they even talk about zombies. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, picture zombies when we say vampires. The the zombie that's outside his house is like his best friend. Yeah, he antagonizes him through quite a few parts in this movie, but he he's like the only one that really talks to uh, to Morgan's, you know, Morgan. Like none, none of the other ones really talk to him all that much. Uh, no, that's not true. Because his his wife later in the movie talks to him as well. I just kind of assume that they wouldn't yeah, talk I'm, to you unless they knew you. And I mean, Vincent Price isn't too worried about these zombies, though. I mean, he puts a record on, he gets drunk, and I mean, dude, his house doesn't look yeah. like it's barricaded that well. No, it really doesn't. I mean, because quite a few boards that get knocked off when when that dude beating the hell out of the window with that board with the two by four. Vampire guy's not really putting his back into it. And I mean, Vincent Price even says later in the movie, is, <laughs> he says something like, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about them. They're mindless idiots is pretty much what he calls them. I guess it would. He goes into that shot where he wakes up the next morning. And, you know, in, th- in this shot, you see a little bit of a different routine. He almost goes straight over to the uh, the lathe and he like turns the lathe on. His his morning breakdown as a Vincent Price fan. You were talking about his acting earlier. Yeah, I mean he he has that breakdown. You can actually see that just the solitude and just the the day to day mundaneness is it's really starting to get to him. And he's starting to you start to see that he's starting to reflect a little bit on the past. He seems like he really regrets not doing more when he had the opportunity to. You don't know his backstory yet, but you know that he lost everything. And this is the 60s, and when you get really emotionally upset, where do you go? Go to the church. <laughs> you go to the church, you talk to a casket, you go talk to and you fucking fall asleep. And you, t- you talk to Jesus. When I first saw this movie, I man, I love this scene. This scene just, there's a lot of energy in this scene. They do, they do a really good job in the editing, the shooting. Uh, Vincent Price does yeah, a great I job. Definitely. Yes, I definitely agree with that because, like, even when he wakes up, he kind of has this "oh shit" look on his face. You know, it's really the only time in the whole movie where the vampires and him have a real sense of urgency, and, and the vampires are a real sense of danger. Yeah, because he comes out of that church, and yeah, it's nighttime, and the vampire zombies are out. I, mean, I, <laughs> I a little bit. They are a little bit like cavemen too, because later on, you know. Later on, a little bit later in the scene, when they when he first pulls up in his in his yard, they're like throwing like rocks and sticks at him and shit. And apparently, back in 1964, you cannot erase the reflection out of a mirror of a vampire. You know, I don't think they were trying to do the reflect. You know, they were trying to use it as a weapon of some kind. The the one friend of his, like, he puts the mirror up in his face and he kind of turns away, like he doesn't want to look into the mirror. That's a really good thing that I like that they do. Because even later in the movie, the the Ruth character, the yeah. the lady that he meets, when she starts uh, turning, they do this great bit where in this room where she tries to go get some privacy, there's a mirror on the wall. And she starts looking away from it like she's repulsed by her own reflection or she can't look at herself. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like – it's like something – it's something deep inside her that she knows is there that when she sees it in the mirror, 
us, the audience. We, no one else. Yeah, we don't see it. You know, that's the one thing in the vampire lore that they don't really 100% try to explain in scientific in scientific terms. They try to explain everything else, but they don't really explain the mirrors. Yeah, he, uh, you know, after that whole siege shit, he gets back into his house. I guess he realizes, man, you know, like, I've actually had a little day. I am going to have a drink now. You know, he pulls out the old camera and he starts watching these old videos of his wife and his baby. And another thing at this point, you know, you can also see where his sanity is starting to slip even more. He does progressively kind of go insane. His laughter goes from like a normal chuckle to this like almost kind of insanely sympathetic crying laughter it's it's kind of strange he breaks down and the audio we get sucked into a flashback for the next uh like 30 it's it's a good 20 30 minute flashback scene it's a and this is a short movie we really didn't touch on that this this film's really short it's not even an hour and a half i think it's like it's like 87 minutes or 88 minutes something like that man this this flashback takes up a chunk of it but you really need it yeah, he go, he goes back and um, you know, his daughter's birthday party and her friend shows up and everybody's just having a good time. Of course, he's got to be fucking Captain Buzzkill over here. Oh yeah, his his friend Ben yeah. that was attacking his house. We get to see him. Yeah, you know, normal in this scene. This is the first bit of information that we get that this was a plague. This started as a virus, and the virus is already in the world. We get this flashback, and it's dude. It's already like the newspapers already spreading things. Like it's airborne. You know, you see his friend Ben trying to trying to warn him and tell him, "Look, man, you need to kind of pay attention to this. It's it's kind of you know, it's it's getting out of control." This is the one time where the media was right. (laughs) Yeah, and then you kind of start that. You start to find out his daughter gets sick, and then he really starts to get more concerned about it. Then you know, because he is a scientist, you know. Yeah, well, his his daughter, like, she loses her eyesight. It, it's kind of a heartbreaking scene, and... It, it just doesn't get any better for him. It just gets worse. And, and I thought it was the, the the one scene when he, you know, after he goes to the lab and he talks, you know, has a conversation with the other scientists and stuff, and um, he kind of goes back home. And I do want to touch on one thing right there. That's the only time in the movie that you actually see Vincent Price get out of what we know here in the in North America and all as being the passenger side of the car, which in Europe would be the driver's side of the car. Yeah, he does get out to us, you know, he gets out on the passenger side. Yeah, he does. you know, that's the but the rest of the movie, you know, he's actually driving what looks like a, you know, a, a vehicle that has the steering wheel and everything on the left hand side of the car. But yeah, and and he gets out of his car. The military is kind of pulling off as he's getting out of the car and he kind of goes in. It's kind of messed up, man, because he runs into the room and all he sees is his daughter, like his daughter's little stuffed rabbit on the bed. And, you know, his, his wife is basically, you might as well say catatonic, you know, about it. We have learned that it is it's a national crisis at this point. Yeah. He specifically tells her, and he's obviously a scientist. He works somehow in the health industry. You don't, you don't really know outside of the fact that he's just a scientist. He's a scientist. This Rob, uh, Robert Morgan, like he specifically tells his wife, 
do not call a doctor. If if they call a doctor, they'll report it. And he watches. He sees a news report earlier in the movie. So it's like you know, if if anybody's infected, you call the government right away. Yeah. Yet they're burning the bodies. You know, this is sixty four. They have this huge thing where like, man, they want these bodies. They want to bury them. That's a big deal in this movie. I and don't feel like is, that would like, be a big you know, deal today. When, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, one another thing is when Vincent Price shows up and. You know, the army guys are getting ready to throw his daughter's body into the into fire. The one soldier, he's like, yeah, well, my daughter's in there, too. Well, I mean, dude, that's that's what's so fucked up. Like, he realizes what a messed up statement that is, and he just backs off immediately. Like, he's all, yeah, all in the soldier's... Yeah, right? He's all up in the soldier's business. Like, no, 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 I need my daughter's body. I need my daughter's body. I need to... I guess he wants to bury her and give her a proper burial. And he just wants it. Yeah. And man, you're right. When that army guy's just he drops that bomb on him, like, dude, look, every a lot of people's daughters are in there, including mine. He just realizes the shit storm he's in. Yeah, like that shit just got real. <laughs> yeah, it got real, <laughs> real quick. To and him. real quick, it was dude. a rude awakening for yeah. him, man. Yeah, because his character was kind of brushing it off. Like we were, t- we were talking about the the birthday scene earlier, he was kind of brushing it off. Like, no, it's airborne. Who cares? Whatever. It's media sensationalism. And yeah, you know, usually he's right. But here's the one time where he was wrong. But he does bury his wife. His wife comes back. I did like when she came back to Vincent Price's house and or to their house, I guess. And she's when that look on his face. Dude, that look on his face is fucking priceless when he's standing there and that doorknob turns and he's just like I also like too, they don't they don't tell you what happened to the wife. They like the wife comes yeah. in and she starts getting all vampiritic on Vincent Price and it's just like, okay, out of flashback. That is way too much for the audience to see for nineteen sixty four. So Vincent Price has to go get him a new ride and when well, he comes back he finds something amazing that he's never found he hasn't seen in a long time a dog not only does he see this dog he he chases the dog down he doesn't end up getting him right now in this scene but the important thing that we find out is as he's walking along he sees some of these vampires are staked not the wooden he's been using wooden stakes the entire movie and yeah he sees the he sees the iron ones and his vo even calls it out like wait i didn't kill these Oh my God, there's people here. There's actually people. Yeah. And this is the first hint at something else outside of him and vampires. When it cut back to him at his house and he's, he's trying to like, he's trying that radio again that he was trying earlier in the movie, you know? Yeah. No, nobody ever contacts him on the radio. Um, but the dog does show back up at his house. There is so much love in Vincent Price's voice and his performance. And his face, too. Right? When he yeah. sees this animal, he's like, oh, my God, it's just another living thing outside of me. Oh, my God. Like, he finds the little dog. The little poodle dog is hurt. She's like, I got to save him. I got to save this little black poodle dog, man. Because, you know, this is the only companion that I have. Like, he's so excited, man. Like, he wants this thing. He's like, oh, we're going to be best friends. We're going to live life. Like, Vincent Price has found a new reason to live. And the dog's cut. Dog. Yeah, right? He The dog's cut, and he sees the blood, and that's when he decides to do a blood test, and he realizes the dog's infected. He's such in the routine 
of exterminating of infected organisms. And well, you don't you don't see him kill it. It just cuts to the next day him burying it. I kill vampires, whether they're animal or or human. At the same time, you can tell that that's another bit of loss that he has to experience. Here we go, man. I mean, this movie's really quick. Like we said, it's it's less than it's less than ninety minutes. So he goes from burying the dog yeah. into right away. While he's burying it, he runs across a woman. You know, it's 1964. When you see a woman and you're the last man on earth, what do you do? You just you run after her, catch her, and then you smack her in the face a bunch of times. I'm not going to lie. Like, looking at it now, it's a little uncomfortable. This scene's uncomfortable. Not to mention, yeah. it's like, you know, you, you just met this woman. She doesn't know you. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not beating the <laughs> shit out of her face is the best first response. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm pretty sure that's not going to make anybody in the world calm down. Yeah, I don't think slapping the shit out of somebody multiple times repeatedly hard enough to where you have to rub your hand afterwards. It's a it's a 60s yeah. movie. Just accept it. Roll with it. Uh, get a little awkward. It is what it is. When they're meeting each other, he, <laughs> I like how also like she says that he hits her and drags her back to his place because – he hits her, and then, then they're just back at his place. You don't see what happens. But, I, you know, I kind of believe her that she, he just kind of dragged her back there. But I do like their their awkward relationship that they have. You know, like, he hasn't like spoken to anybody in three years. No, so the first thing he does is bring her back to his house and, you know, accost her with garlic. <laughs> I know, right? It's so – it's just like, hey, first person I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it is a good test. But, I mean, you could have probably started with something. Like, why didn't you start with the, the mirrors or something like that? I mean, and she does get pissed off. And she makes a lot of great I mean, points in her argument. Oh, she does, definitely. But come on. I mean, you'd be pretty mad, too. Somebody fucking you you haven't even seen just fucking chases you down, slaps the shit out you, makes you go back to their place where they insistently just, I mean, want to throw garlic in your face. Hell, I'd be pretty pissed, too. His people skills are completely lacking. I'm not, there's no, there's no denying that. And I, that's that's one thing I really enjoy about this scene. You know, you you see what, what a vulnerable, and just kind of awkward and weird guy Vincent Price has become. Like he was better around the dog that didn't talk to him. You know, this is a good scene too because we also get the explanation for why he's the last man on earth. The reason he's immune is is because of. This bat was carrying this plague earlier. This vampire bat was carrying a weakened strand of it. It bit him. He was exposed to it, and his body was able to build a natural immune response to it. He even tries to cure the character Ruth with his own blood. Oh, he he does cure her, I think. I, like, I think in the movie, yeah. he does temporarily cure her. Before he cures her, like he ends up walking on, uh, walking into her, like shooting up in front of the mirror, and she's got her vampiritic vaccine that is working against this virus. It doesn't destroy the virus that's in her body; it just kind of wards it off. It suppresses it. It's like vampire smack. She even says it has blood that feeds. It feeds the virus while there's a vaccine in it that also keeps it at the level where she doesn't become an actual vampire. Daywalker. Yeah. 
Uh, I I can't believe we just brought Blade in here. We did, didn't we? We did. You did. You did. That was your fault. You did that. Well, yes, I did because he even makes a comment to her later on when she runs outside and it's daytime. He's like, you know, you can be out here during the daytime, and I mean, because they discuss it too, you know. So technically, that kind of would make her a daywalker. Yeah, there's this whole society of people that have been using this vaccine that are not vampires. They're nope. people, and they are holding off this illness. And they're going to get ready to start a new society. And they fear the shit out of yeah. Vincent Price. And it's weird because at this point in time, you start, you start, you know, questioning, well, is, is Vincent Price the good guy we thought he was? You know, he thinks he's killing vampires. Become- he doesn't know that he's killing these, these half vampire, half humans. Yeah. He doesn't know he's killing them. He doesn't even know they exist. Yeah. And to them, they look at him like this the freaking Genghis Khan of the new world, you know, like he's just massively murdering people. Yeah. He's going around from house to house, killing people in a really brutal fashion. And she's telling him that, yeah, look, I was, I came here to spy on you. The whole reason I'm here is to spy on you. We're going to start a new civilization. Uh, You're not going to be in it because you're a murdering psychopath. I said, yeah, because at one point in time, she actually pulls a gun on Vincent Price. Yeah, she does. Characters, you know, he thinks he's doing the right thing. You know, he thinks he's kind of putting these people out of their misery. Exactly. But on the other hand, all he's been all he's been doing is is you know they're not sympathy killing. He's actually just murdering. So they look at him as like this dude's like a serial killer. He's killing off their entire race. Out, like, uh, what what is left of? Uh... It's not humanity. It's it's this next. It's this. It's this humanity vampiric mutation. It's this next it's evolution. This, evolution. this is what happens when the whole world evolves, but this one guy. When he cures Ruth, and they find out that his blood is the cure, they're like, "Hmm. Well, we can all be fully cured now. Instead of injecting ourselves with this shit multiple times a day, we can just use his blood." And be cured completely. Yeah, he yeah he can he can cure all these people. But I mean, Ruth even says earlier in the film, right before that scene, and she clearly tells him they're coming for him. And when they come, yeah, she does. They're not willing to talk. They're coming to put him down because he is a menace to the new society. So I mean, once again, though, but doing what he's doing. Is what he doing necessarily good or evil? Because he's actually trying to cure them. So, but that's where the Shakespearean tragedy kind of comes in, right? He's he literally is the one man that could save society from being vampires or, or these daywalkers or any sort of thing. I mean, and you know, because the one scene where Ruth she looks into the mirror, she smells the garlic. It doesn't bother her. So Robert Morgan gives Ruth uh, this blood transfusion. And when you're talking about he can save humanity, can he really save humanity? Because we don't know what his blood type is. Unless he's O type neg- uh, type O negative, where he is a universal donor that can give to anybody. If he's not, he's only going to save like type A, whatever, or type B, whatever blood types yeah. like he's not going to be saving everybody so 
I guess I guess we just have to assume that he's typo negative and he's gonna donate to everybody. Yeah. Is what about when when Ben bites Ruth? You know the the zombie vampire that's been beating outside of uh, Vincent Price's house this entire time. He finally sneaks in and he's able to get around the mirror and he breaks into Vincent Price's house and he gets Ruth outside. He bites her. I wouldn't guess that she would turn into a vampire anymore because she still has his antibodies in her system. The way the movie portrays it, it, the minute she gets bit, it's like she needs – it's like she's been reinfected again. When Once you have a vaccine for something, I mean in certain cases, yes. For example, they have a chickenpox vaccine, but that doesn't say that you're never going to get chickenpox ever in your life. But at the same time, it does kind of seem that uh, she she turns into a vampire, but then at the very end, it doesn't really seem like she did. At the end, very end, it seems like she's pretty much cured. I did not read it that way at all. The way I read it at the end was that because she got bit, that when he says he's the last man on Earth and he's the last human... And she's and she goes up to him and talks to him like that. Yeah, that's the last of humanity. Humans are dead, and whatever this new society, this new, that's a new species that's on the planet. The Daywalker Society shows up. Yeah, they come home. They come to his home looking for him. I, I like a lot of that nighttime scenery too. You know, the, a lot of those nighttime shots that are done right there um, when he's running away from them. They eventually chase him down, man. And that scene at the end, dude, when he's in that, I, what is that supposed to be? A church? Yeah, yeah, it's a church. They say that, yeah, they even say, um, the, whatever the vampiritic Daywalker Society even says, like, he went into the church. Yeah. And he threw off a bunch of smoke bombs and he, uh, he has a shootout. He, he kills a couple of the. Daywalker Society guys, and he ends up getting shot in the stomach with a Tommy gun. So he's bleeding yep. out. He goes into the church, and you know, at the, at the end of the movie, they corner him in uh, at the chapel or the altar, and this is where the title "I Am Legend" comes into play. Uh, he's legend because yes, he is a mass murderer to them. He is and legend I love that in their scene. society because of that. I love the final scene in that movie where you know it's kind of that dolly shot and it shows Ruth walking away and like all the other members of the Daywalker Society standing around her and then the end you know the end title comes up. Did your version end with the baby crying? Yeah, I did actually check that out. I do have one version of it where there's a baby that cries at the very end of it, but the other version I have doesn't. There are multiple versions of this film that are out there. Um, it you know it is in the public domain. All right, Paul. So with that, what are your thoughts? It's a fantastic movie. Yeah, you know, it, it it really it, it once you sit down and watch it, it'll really make you think. Like I said before, it really showcases Vincent Price as not only just being this spooky, you know horror actor it actually shows that the guy was a really really good actor it, the muti- the whole movie is beautifully done when we say zombie films this is this is the birth of the zombie film i uh, i feel like they got the formula for the zombie film in here uh but they called it vampires i also think this film has a lot of really interesting things to say 
there are a lot of science fiction elements. We're trying to grasp in science what is vampirism. It also gives us a, a lot to think about in terms of when we pick our side. Is our side right? Is our side wrong? Really, it matters on who won at the end of the day. You know, really, when you look at this movie, I always like to think about The Last Man on Earth, and I like to think about the history that went on and all the terrible things they wrote about Vincent Price's character, Robert Morgan. Was Robert Morgan this terrible Jack the Ripper that was terrorizing the countryside? From the monster's perspective, he was. But from his perspective, he was doing what he had to do in order to survive. I like it a lot. Is it my favorite uh, adaptation of item legend? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I put that out there for our audience. What is your favorite interpretation of I am legend? All right. So a lot of things to say that's going to do it for us tonight. You've been listening to the movie crew podcast. If you want to get in contact with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That is the movie crew, and crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, one extra E at the end of that crew at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow us, we are on Facebook. We're on Twitter uh, at Movie Crew Pod. If you guys want to follow us on social media, uh, we're there. We just pretty much post our episodes. We'll post some cool articles every now and again um, that we see on the interweb. And yeah, if you guys want to request episodes or movies we should talk about, uh, filmmakers we should talk to, we're always open to suggestions. We encourage that. So yeah, I guess I'm pretty much just rambling. The normal stuff at the end of the show, uh, we are going to play a little bit of the soundtrack. Uh, it was, man, this, this soundtrack was really tough to get a hold of. So, uh, I actually didn't get a hold of it. So <laughs> I was able to find the record that Vincent Price's character is playing to kind of drown out the zombies. It was called Apocalypse Jazz. That's the last track we're going to play here tonight. But the first track we're going to play is the main titles of the film. I actually had to pull the main titles from the movie itself. So you will hear Vincent Price talking um, in the middle of the song. Uh, but we still want you guys, we still think it's important that you hear the music because, you know, music is such an important part of filmmaking. It really, you know, it ties things together, it helps in edit work. And these tracks are composed by Mr. Paul Sattel and Bert Shifter. Enjoy. been since I inherited the world only three years it seems like a hundred million 